0: For those of you who don't know, we're in the middle of a sermon series about identity. What we're doing is we're working to discover or maybe rediscover who we really are, who we truly are in Christ. And we're focusing on our identity because we live in a culture that bombards us with lies about who we are. We're constantly being told that we aren't enough. You aren't thin enough. You aren't rich enough. You aren't smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not loved enough. You're not significant enough. You're not enough to matter. That's what the culture tells us. This culture that we live in works to define us and identify us by all of the things that we're not. But in this series, we're seeing that in Christ, our identity is literally counter to the culture. In Christ, we are enough. We're more than conquerors. Not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but because of who he is. Because of what he has done. And what has he done. Well, so far this summer, we've been reminded that he recreated you. He adopted you. He welcomed you. He covenanted with you. He bonded with you. And as we saw last week, he made you God's friend. He befriended you. In Christ, you are enough. That's who you are. That's your true identity. And I want to just return for a few minutes to last week's topic. Remember last week our identity truth number six was the truth is in Christ you are God's friend. And I want to remind us of what we talked about last week because if we don't embrace the truth that we are God's friends, we're not going to be able to grasp, we're not going to be able to latch on to today's truth. So let's take just a moment. Let's listen to last week's key scripture. It's a scripture that teaches us the remarkable truth that Jesus came to the world and he turned God's enemies into God's friends. Or to make it more personal, let's listen to this humbling scripture that makes it very clear that we, that you and me, because of our sins, were alienated from God. We were God's enemies but because of God's great love for us and because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can now call God our friend. Listen from the New Living Translation from Romans chapter one. Romans chapter five, beginning in verse one. And Paul writes, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Verse 6, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might possibly be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Verse 9. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice. Rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Isn't that remarkable? And isn't that humbling? At just the right time, Jesus came and restored our friendship with God. And why did our friendship need restoring? Well, it's because we were alienated. That's going to be an important word this morning. We were alienated. We were alienated from God by our sin. Our friendship needed restoring because we were alienated from God. Now, there's something that you need to understand about friendship with God. Something you need to understand about being friends with God. See, being friends with God isn't a Facebook friendship. You guys know about Facebook friends, right? Facebook friendships are known for being a mile wide and about an inch deep. I'll use myself as an example. I'm not active on Facebook at all, but you know what? I have 489 Facebook friends. Aren't I special? It's not a very exclusive club, is it? I was looking through my Facebook friends, and I have a Facebook friend who has 4,111 Facebook friends. 4,111 friends, a mile wide and an inch deep. You see, God didn't send his son to die for you in order to make you his Facebook friend. No, he sent his son to restore a relationship that was always intended to be one God wide and miles deep. You need to understand that friendship with God is an exclusive relationship. He isn't one of 489. He isn't one of 4,111. He's the one. He's the only one. As an adopted child, you have one father. As God's priest, you serve one temple. As Jesus' bride, you have one groom. As God's bondservant, you have one master. And you are friends with only one God. Which means that you can't be a friend of the world and a friend with God. Which brings us to identity truth number seven. Who are you? Well, in Christ, you are an alien and a stranger in this world. Listen again to Peter describe who you are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You are an alien in this world. You are a foreigner in this world. You are a sojourner in this world. You are a stranger from a different country altogether. You see, God's called you out of this dark world to be the people of light, to be the people of God. And the only way that you can be truly at home in this world is if you are alienated from God. And the only way that you can be reconciled with God, the only way you can be God's friend, is become an alien and a stranger in this world. To become a foreigner, to become a sojourner, to become a nomad. You see, that's who we are. We're nomads like Abraham. Listen to how Abraham lived from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. And by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents for he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verse 13, we read, and these people, speaking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. You see, we're like Abraham. We're tent dwellers passing through this world while looking forward to a country of our own. A country prepared by God for his friends. Jesus put it this way. He said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Paul adds this thought. He says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We're nomads in this world. We're nomads because we've been chosen out of this world and have been given instead the right of citizenship in heaven. In Christ, that's who we are. In Christ, that's who you are. As far as I can tell, this movement started in Austin, Texas. And then it spread to Portland, Oregon, and then it went down the coast to Santa Cruz, California, and from there to at least a dozen cities and at least a dozen different states. It's a movement, it's the Keep Weird movement. Maybe you've heard the slogan before Keep Austin weird, Keep Portland weird, Keep whatever city weird. It's a slogan that these cities have adopted that put it on t-shirts, that put it on bumper stickers, that put signs up. It reflects their desire, at least the desire of some people in those cities, to stand out, to keep their cities distinctive, to keep them unique, to keep them weird. See, when you drive into Austin, they don't want you to mistake it for Abilene, Texas, I spent some time there. Did you know that Abilene, Texas has adopted this slogan? This is a true story. Their slogan is, keep Abilene boring. They're doing a good job of it, too. And the people in Austin don't want you to think that you're in Round Rock, Texas, when you drive through. See, Round Rock has embraced this slogan. Again, a true story. Their slogan is, keep Round Rock mildly unusual. Boring. Boring. Mildly unusual. Keep Austin weird though. Keep it distinctive, unique, standing out. Well, how do I bring that story up? Well, I bring it up because that's what Jesus and Paul and Peter and the author of Hebrews are calling for. They're calling on us, they're calling on the church to embrace our weirdness, if you will to embrace our distinctiveness, our uniqueness, to embrace the fact that we stand out. And they're saying keep the church weird, not boring, not mildly unusual, but weird. See, in Christ, our identity and the church's identity should be so distinctive that someone, when someone encounters us, There's no doubt in their mind that we are the people of God. No doubt because we are strangers. We are aliens in this world. And strangers all have something in common. Strangers are strange. They're unique. They're distinctive. They stand out. And to follow Christ is to embrace our Strangeness. Listen to what Peter says about this life of strangeness we've embraced. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. And Peter says, You've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now listen to what Peter says. says, they think, the people of the world think, it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. They think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild and destructive living. So they heap abuse on you. See, here's the reality of your new identity in Jesus Christ. See, when you embrace the values and traditions of this kingdom... When you embrace the values and traditions of God's kingdom, it will inevitably make you appear strange. It'll make you appear weird to citizens of this worldly kingdom, this kingdom that we're just passing through. And I'm here to tell you that's the way it should be and that's the way it must be. We need to stand out. We must stand out from the natives, just like Jesus did. We must keep the church and God's people weird. Maybe that should be our theme next year. Theme for 2020: Keep Netherwood Weird. I'll make some great T-shirts. I can already see the elders back there going, "Oh, let's not do that." So why do we need this reminder? Why do we need to be reminded of our identity as aliens and strangers? Why do we need to be called back to uniqueness, called back to distinctiveness? Well, we need to be called back to our unique identity in Christ because the world is loudly calling us and pushing us and pressuring us to conform. The world thinks it's strange that you are strange. So it pressures you to fit in instead of standing out. And I think if we're honest, we all understand it's really easy for us to give in. It's really easy for us to give in to the pressure that the world puts on us to conform because most of us don't really like being looked at as the strange one, being noticed as the weird one. I know I like to fit in. I like to be seen as if I'm normal, even though I'm not. Because normal people don't get made fun of. Normal people don't get left out. Normal people don't get marginalized. It's a lot easier to go along with the world so we can just get along with the world. In fact, the natural response of aliens is to assimilate into the culture that's around them. Our natural instinct is to adopt its language, to adopt its dress, to adopt its customs, to adopt adopt its values, even to adopt its gods. That's what happened to Israel, right? The longer they were around the pagan nations, the more they looked and sounded and thought and worshipped like the pagan nations. Israel lost its distinctiveness. Israel lost its weirdness. And they became unrecognizable to their God. To use James's language, they became polluted by the world around them. And the question that God repeatedly asked Israel. And the question that Jesus repeatedly asked the Jewish leaders, the question Paul repeatedly asked the early church, and the question I'm asking now is this. Why would we ever choose, why would you ever choose to harmonize with a culture that's completely out of tune with your God? Why would we sing along with the world when you've been set free to sing God's praises? Why would you work so hard to look like and think like and act like the citizens of this world when Jesus came and died to make you a citizen of heaven? You see, this world is not your home. That's not who you are. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So my dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. That's who you are. You're an alien and a stranger in this world. But thanks to Jesus Christ, you are a citizen of heaven. And your new nation has no borders It doesn't even collect taxes. And though other people in this world may think you're weird, you're able to keep your true identity. You're able to be true to your real identity by worshiping, by serving, by obeying the king. Because your king is God eternal, who loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to this world to make you a citizen of heaven. So my charge to you is go and be different. Go and be unique. Go and stand out. Go and be weird. Because that's who you are. That's who God has declared you to be. And that's who Jesus died to make you to be. Let's pray. Father, may our allegiance be pledged to you and to you alone. For you are our king, our only king, our only God. All praise and glory to you. It's in the name of your precious son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's end with identity challenge number eight. Simply two questions. Two questions I want you to consider this week and answer, answer honestly as you go through the week. Question number one. In what ways are you too comfortable in this world? In what ways are you too comfortable in this world? Question number two. What do you need to do in order to recapture your strangeness? Recapture your weirdness? Answer those questions and go and be unique. Let's end by standing and singing a song, a song that affirms that this world is not our home, affirms that we are strangers and aliens here, that we are citizens of heaven. Let's stand and sing.